What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years, and not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, everything is awesome. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today you are going to be hearing a very special <laughs> command treat. performance <laughs> treat from us. Uh, it will be our second attempt at this podcast yeah. because the first one was eaten, was well recorded and vanished mysteriously under dubious circumstances. Uh, we think it was stolen by the Russians. I always suspect the Russians. I think it's a good bad guy. <laughs> The Russians, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is which is actually really appropriate because today we are talking about movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to talk about specifically uh, big data and the movies, both with uh, the Oscars, which uh, here in the United States they were just recently that that award ceremony was just recently held, and also just with movies in general and how uh, how big data is shaping 
the movies, or at least or as, may shape, or may shape, or may misshape the mm. movies, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said last time when we recorded this, <laughs> Oscar season is a time when you're going to hear me getting on my high horse and and just allow me to ug, please. Man, I can't stand award ceremonies. Something about the whole enterprise of it just seems so wrong and stupid to me. Like, you're going to put these movies next to each other and say, which one was better? Yeah. What was better, uh, Selma or the Grand Budapest Hotel? And I'm like, why are you comparing them? Like, what what would even cause you to do that? And, And I think some things you can, like... In the grand scheme of things, if you were to take all movies, sure, there are movies we can point to and say, these are really good movies. And there are movies we can point to and say, these are really bad movies. But when you get to the point where you're talking about contenders for something like the Oscars, presumably all of these films are representative of of excellence in some manner. And once you get to that point, it's really a matter of subjectivity, which one is, quote unquote, the best picture, right? But the that... honor is in being nominated. <laughs> It really, uh, really kind of is in a way because I mean, how do oh, you absolutely. how do you judge how do you judge well, a killer comedy like something that genuinely makes you laugh and you have a great time and you truly enjoy it and everything's like done a well? Very serious historical drama about something tragic, or or just a or or just a heartwarming story that tugs at your heartstrings. I mean, if any of these things, if they're really effective at what they're supposed to do, then they are great movies, right? So how can you tell what, what which one is better than the other? But that's all kind of beside the point. And also, I, I need to point out that what's really important in art is winning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny that we're pointing out that the, the problem here is the subjectivity that comes into evaluating things like movies. But the fact that their subjectivity doesn't mean you can't get nasty and just quantify <laughs> it by brute force. Well, and that brings well, us can. back to our to our topic. Yeah. Uh, big data and the movies. It's actually kind of crazy because you do think like when you think of something like art, you think of that as being a very human endeavor, right? Something that is not necessarily quantifiable, something that has has an element that goes beyond what we can achieve with uh, an artificial construct that uh, an artificial machine of some sort could not create or appreciate art the way we can. Uh, and therefore, you wouldn't expect to be able to use these machines to evaluate that art and then come up with a good guess as to which one deserves an award. However, you'd be wrong. This <laughs> is the weird thing. Okay. But then, in a way, it's it's more about figuring out how people think rather than the uh quali- the quality of the art itself. That's, I think, a distinction we have to make. So we're really talking here in this specific part about big data and uh, the movies and how big data can help uh, a, a sophisticated system predict which movies are most likely to win awards. Okay, so what do we mean when we say big data? Well, so we we generate a lot of information every single day, right, about everything. We generate it, we we analyze it, we come up with new figures based upon the analysis of the old figures. That joins the data. Mm -hmm. Because everything that we do online is in some way quantifiable. Even if no one is tracking it, Probably someone's tracking it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's probably being recorded somewhere. Whether it's being anything useful or otherwise is being done with it is that's another question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So 
we get this these mountains of of data and if you figure out a good way to analyze that data you might be able to make something meaningful from it now some of that data is already categorized in some way which makes it a little easier to analyze some of it is you know quote unquote loose data that doesn't have any categorization or any other meta analysis attached to it so it's still valuable but it's harder to incorporate into a a system or an algorithm uh, but there are a lot of companies that are rising up around the challenge of analyzing big data for the benefit of other entities. So, for example, market analysis, huge with oh, big data, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a company and you're looking to launch a product, uh, you might you might end up uh, consulting a big data analysis company to find out things like, what sort of aesthetic approach you need to take with your product? What sort of advertising strategy should you incorporate? Lots of different bits and pieces that would go into the determination of how you would go forward to give yourself the best chance of success. Uh, yeah, or, or if you just want to place bets on the Oscar winners and make some money off of your friends, uh, there's companies for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not encouraging gambling. Well, I guess what I said was just encouraging gambling, but, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> well, well, let's say, let, for ex- example, I've got a friend who throws an Oscar party every year. Uh-huh. And one of the things she does is she hands out ballots. To oh, people, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And you go and you pick your choices for who's going to win what. And then the person who has the, the most correct answers wins whatever the prize happens to be. And usually it's one of those things. T-shirt where you, that says most soulless hack. Usually. <laughs> Wow. I wear that T-shirt. That sounds like a great T-shirt. Can this we make unbiased that opinion guys? brought to you by. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's it's usually in our case, it's usually like you throw two bucks into the betting okay, pool, yeah. and whoever gets a wins the the kitty or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of a, a, a fun little exercise. Although I didn't participate this year, I had threatened that I was going to take the information from one of these companies and and put it to use. <laughs> so we wanted to talk a little bit about. The the ways that big data has or that that marketing firms have used big data to try and do things like predict Oscar winners. Now, keep in mind, this was not for business purposes, right? It wasn't or not directly for business purposes. It's not like there are companies that are in business of predicting the Oscars and that's how they make money. This Uh, is probably more just to show off what they can do. Exactly. It's a fun way to say, like, hey, look, we are real good at crunching numbers. Right, right. If if we get a certain number of our guesses correct, then you know that our methodology is really reliable, and therefore you should hire us to do whatever else we do. And I have a personal caveat about that, but I'll wait until the end. All right. So... Uh, the first one I wanted to talk about, the one that I, I first looked at when I was looking into this whole idea, is a company called Farsight, which started making predictions in 2013. And I was looking to see if they made any for this past year, but didn't find any information on hmm. that. So 2013 and 2014 they did. And I think I know why they might have stopped in 2014. So in 2013, they uh, predicted – they made six predictions, right, of uh, the the big categories – in um in the Oscars like best picture best director uh best uh, actor actress that kind of thing I think supporting actor and supporting actress were the uh, the last two mm-hmm. and they got all but one correct in 2013 yeah they missed a uh, best director I that's think. right that's right and then in 2014 they got all six correct which is why I think they might have stopped <laughs> because right. why they were like well Yahtzee let's just let's just stop there. right exactly yeah. why risk. <laughs> Why risk a, a bad year? <laughs> and and granted, this is me 
guessing. They may have had other very valid reasons. Uh, this is just a wild guess on my part. But uh, at any rate, they did get six out of six, which sounds pretty impressive. You know, I do wonder, how would a company make a prediction like that since these evaluations are supposed to be subjective? You know, it, right. it's hard to watch a an actor's performance in one scene, then watch a different actor perform a different scene and put a number on which one is more likely to win. Right. And and if this were a pure experience where every single person in the Academy was completely unaffected by anything on the outside of it. And furthermore, the voting process was more straightforward. Right. If all of that were true, I think it'd be very difficult for any algorithm to truly predict what would happen. However, we live in a world where this voting process is a little more complicated and it is very much wound up in the Hollywood politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Hollywood politics can include things like the buzz that a film gets, things that, like scandals can affect which movies or actors or directors may or may not win that year. Things that are outside of just the quality of the film or performance itself. So ultimately, that's another reason why Oscars feel a little silly, because you can never truly be sure that the award is going to the best. The best. It may be going to someone for reasons that are on top of the the quality of their performance. And keep in mind, like we said, if if a film is up for nomination, chances are it's reached a certain level of quality. So it's not like these are necessarily bad movies, but maybe it's not the best movie or best performance. I'd like to point to Return of the King. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Don't get me wrong. Love it. But I get a feeling like a lot of the awards that went to Return of the King that year were because the previous entries of the Lord of the Rings series were largely overlooked by the Oscars. And this was the last chance <laughs> to figured it was due. I think so. It's, I think that really like was how, part of it. Uh, one year, Leonardo DiCaprio may win an Oscar for some for not his best role. Right. But people just kind of think, ah, he's due. Right. He he sh <laughs> like, why doesn't he have an Oscar already? Yeah. This performance he did, uh, you know, in, in the the reboot of the. Uh, Ernest Goes to Camp series. <laughs> I, we got to give it to him for something. I would watch that movie. I, I yeah, would. I would too. That's kind of great. <laughs> I was Leo, I was, call us. I was literally just grasping at straws there, but I, I'm glad you like it. Uh, so anyway, Farsight, their algorithm actually took a lot of these other elements into consideration. These things like industry buzz, stuff that, again, that would seem really kind of weird to quantify. So they would identify trends and biases that were in the, the media about all of the different nominees uh, it took into account news events. And so it took all this stuff and they quantified it in a way that they have not completely revealed because, of course, they're not going oh, to do that. Oh, it's proprietary. Yeah. Yeah. They want That's they the want point. Yeah. They want people to say, oh, well, you have the secret sauce. Right. That makes this work. So therefore, you're not going to share the secret sauce because then it's not secret anymore. And then anyone can do it. So uh, at any rate, it worked really well. Now, some people would say. And by some people, I mean like uh, some media uh, journalists, people who cover this stuff for a living would say that a lot of the, these approaches do very little that than uh, little more than what pundits do 
on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. That essentially this is the same stuff that the people who uh, analyze this, like human beings who just watch mm-hmm. and analyze this, they do the same thing. Pick up on buzz, look at the lay of the land. Yeah. Oh, what sure, sure. Are well, well, but the whole point is that, um, you know, you don't have to be an industry expert. You can just hire a company like this to be your industry expert. Sure. And, and they're able to take in way more mm-hmm. data than a person could, right? They were factoring in things like the betting odds in Vegas over which nominee was most likely to win. So, you know, taking all of that and making it make sense in a streamlined fashion, that's a real challenge, even for someone who watches the industry closely, right? Mm -hmm. But for a machine that can crunch all that and weigh the different factors, look at previous uh, Oscar ceremonies and who won and kind of look at the different criteria and say, which of these seems to matter the most Let's build our algorithm to give those the most uh, uh, weight for the predictions, and that's what's going to guide our choices, and it seemed to work. Now, they're not the only company that's in this, and I've got some other ones to mention for this this past year uh, that uh, when we you know finally got to see the the Oscars in 2015, uh, and kind of didn't watch who who won. Uh, I was watching WWE Fastlane actually, so I missed out the Oscars too. <laughs> So Hulk Hogan won the Oscar. Yeah. Hulk Hogan was not at WWE Fastlane. Man, you are just you're uninformed about professional <laughs> wrestling and uninformed about the Oscars, Joe. Come on, what were you doing that Sunday? I'm pretty sure Hulk Hogan was was a wrestler. At any rate, some of the other companies that got into this uh, have acknowledged that it's tricky to make predictions about. Uh, who's going to win the Oscars? For one thing, you're working with a much smaller data sample than than you would with some of the other market analyses these firms would typically do. Right. So we are generally talking about data analysis, and it's not even necessarily all that big right. of a data question. Sometimes it's kind of medium data. Yeah. Yeah. If you're talking about <laughs> uh, trying to predict what 6,600 or so people are going to vote on, that's that's really not – when we talk about big data, that's – not that huge. Oh no, you know, not in the at grand all. scheme of things. Um, and hypothetically, the the members of the academy are largely anonymous. That so it's uh, you know you, you can't you can't poll the individual people. No. So one company um, called Exponential, what th- their approach was, they wanted to get a group of web users together that they thought would reflect the academy's overall. Uh, you know, uh, philosophies and biases, that sort of thing. So they actually ended up, they had something like 32,000 people that they looked at to create kind of a, a, a sample academy. And they even went so far as to say, oh, well, these people are really, uh, in this sample are really super liberal. And that doesn't reflect the academy because the academy is not super liberal. It's, it's a little liberal, but not as liberal as these guys. So we can't use these guys as our hmm. predictor group. Like, huh. and they would even make say, say things like people who really liked such and such politician would be most likely to vote for such and such movie, but because that doesn't reflect the academy, we're going to ignore that. I'm <laughs> just like, wow, okay. So you're, <laughs> they were finding weird correlations based yeah. upon philosophies yeah. and movie preferences. Huh. At any rate, once they managed to get their uh, their representative group that they felt reflected the academy, they discovered that it was either going to be Birdman. Or the imitation game that would take home the best picture, uh, Oscar and Birdman did. Um, although pundits were also saying that Birdman was going to. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, another company called PredictWise analyzes information from production markets and award histories. It also predicted Birdman would win. 
Uh, but not all of them were so flawless. There was a company, there's a company called MovieGraph, and their approach was very different. They looked at the tonal elements of the actual films. They looked at recent Oscar winners and the movies that won the Oscars and said, what are the elements that, that have won Oscars in the past few years? Because that's indicating trends that people find to be really uh, noteworthy and award-worthy. And based upon that, they said, oh, well, according to, to that, analysis, American Sniper is going to win. Totally did not win. No. Um, So not every method works equally. You know, I haven't seen American Sniper, so I can't actually judge it. But by the title, it does sound like one of those direct-to-DVD Tom Berenger movies. (laughs) Yeah, um, no comment. Uh, So again, the LA Times, which obviously, you know, it's right there in the heart of the film industry, uh, pointed out that many of these predictions were made by media journalists who had been just watching the mm-hmm. the the awards ceremonies unfold over time and kind of uh just the trends that were going on in Hollywood and have suggested that perhaps while some of these stories like like uh, uh the earlier ones might seem really impressive to get 6 out of 6 predictions correct it's not necessarily the hard science that some of these companies huh. might be presenting. Uh, okay. Can, can, can I have a Lauren rant time now? You, you can actually? absolutely have a Lauren rant about can this. Can we have the intro music and everything? All right. Lauren rant time. All right. So I do think that it's really cool that uh, we are making computers that are as smart as humans and making these predictions. I, I, I do genuinely think that that is an impressive feat. However, uh, a, a word about the Academy. Mm-hmm. All right. So though, yes, the Academy does keep its membership list private. Several researchers have sussed out a majority of its membership and found that it's over 90 percent white, over 70 percent male and has a median age of over 60 years. With that kind of skew, I'd posit that it's perhaps not the hardest thing to determine the winners that these people are choosing. Right. Yeah. Diversity is not one of the Academy's many um, uh, facets, I'd say. <laughs> um, yeah, there there a lot of people have pointed out over, you know, recently and actually, you know, throughout the entire history of the Academy, people have pointed out the flaws in the in the Academy Uh hasn't stopped the Oscars from being portrayed as this incredibly glamorous and prestigious award ceremony. But I keep hoping that with the increased amount of attention and focus that we will start to see a better representation of a broader spectrum of people so that films that are legitimately awesome but rarely get that kind of consideration are grouped in with the ones that, you know, you would – as soon as you see the trailer, you think, whatever oh, Tom Hanks' was... vehicle is coming out this year, yeah, that's exactly. a jerker and involves a volleyball and right. whatever. Yeah. Someone overcoming adversity and injury and that kind of thing. <laughs> a tragedy, personal tragedy. Got to have that in there. Sure. I think it's generally a crime, the lack of films represented at the Academy that have the word chainsaw in the title. <laughs> I, I think they're really missing on the important uh, Leatherface demographic there. There are a lot of people who are wearing human skin out there. So Joe, and they're really not being represented. Joe, the, you know, speaking of wait wearing a human no, skin. No, 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 no. We're not segueing yet, Joe. Joe, you are obsessed with this. All right. So here's a little peek behind the curtain, folks. Uh, Joe and I are working on, on a uh, an upcoming episode of Tech Stuff, and Joe has been pitching really, really hard that we should do a full Tech Stuff episode on chainsaws. So... <laughs> 
the fact that it also has spilled over into forward thinking tells me that he's truly passionate about this. And I need to reconsider my original he- heck no I, <laughs> response. Come on, ch- chainsaw technology. I'm curious. It's right. more interesting than you think. It, no, I, yeah. I don't think about chainsaws night and day, just all of today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's fair. Okay, so we've talked about how you can perhaps use quantitative analysis aided by computers to predict how humans would evaluate art. Sure. And entertainment. But what about going at the art and entertainment from the other direction? What if we used computer-aided quantitative analysis and maybe even some aspects resembling big data to determine how we make the movies Ooh. in the first place? So, huh. so like talking about a, a computer writer, like someone, a computer writing a screenplay. Well, you know, obviously we can't do anything like that yet. But We've had whole episodes about that, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's kind of unpleasant to realize how close we are to that in some ways. Right. Now, I, I want to give a little analogy here. Sure. If you work in creating content, you've heard of content? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creating content for the web. Yeah. You will know that there are certain... Things you can look at in your data analytics. You might look at Google Analytics for your website and come up with uh, tips for how you create new content. So, for example, you might look at the thousand articles you have so far and say, huh, whenever we do a list article, ones that start with an even number get this percentage fewer clicks than ones that start with an odd number. So maybe when we create new content that is list-based, we should always start it with an odd number. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we use this word in the title, and we, when we use this word, it gets this percentage fewer clicks than when we use a synonym for the word that's this other word. It, you can get into really minute analysis. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and if that sounds a little bit too cold and calculating, I mean, we we do at a certain point here at HowStuffWorks uh, – use that kind of information to guide what kind of information we put out. Like, for example, on one of our video shows, Brain Stuff, we, we look at we look at the videos that people watch the most often and we say, uh, ones about animals are getting less attention than ones about the human body. So let's do more about the human body because that's what people seem to like. But the kind of concerns that go into how you, say, title content for the web to have better traffic performance, that's a fairly small concern. Sure. You're not, like, writing the article based on this. It's just, you know, you're doing something about how you phrase the title or the the pagination structure or something like that. It's really presentation. Yeah. You can apply the same thing to movies and it's really up to you how far you want to go with this with this you know scrambling of elements <laughs> yeah it's so first of all it is not unusual in in the the screenwriting world to have a writer turn in a screenplay uh it's been attached to a production a director's been attached and then for the either the movie studio, the director or a producer, someone involved in the production to decide, you know, the screenplay needs to be punched up a bit. It can't uh, it's it's not quite where we need it to be in order to make the movie we want to make. You ever get to the credits in a movie that really wasn't all that great? And then you see written by and there are like six names. Yup. Mm hmm. And yeah. there's probably another six or seven that got left off for some reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is this is where you get uh, people doctoring a screenplay in right. order to try and 
uh, and make it more uh, appealing or more more marketable, whatever or, or it just, might be. Or just better, just more punchy sometimes. Sure. Sometimes it means removing an entire character from uh, a story. You might look at it and say, well, this character is superfluous. Let's remove them, give some of the lines to some of these other characters, mm-hmm. cut the rest and move forward. Or adding another character, yep. like in Silent Hill, when they realized that there were literally no men in the movie. <laughs> other than Pyramid Head. <laughs> Uh, because and then Sean Bean happened. <laughs> oh, I'm Sean gonna, Bean. I'm going to take a wild so guess lonely. and say he dies in the movie. He actually doesn't. Well, Spoiler alert. It's how, like the one movie series how did that, that he happen? lives through. It's crazy. No, he's just left in uh, in this bleak gray solitude forever. All right. Well, that's Much fair. better than dying. Yeah. Well, at any rate, so <laughs> normally we assign humans the task of doctoring screenplays. However... There have been a couple of companies that have come out and suggested that they have some algorithms that can help analyze a screenplay, see what elements would really, uh, supposedly at any rate, um, uh, do really well with audiences, which ones might fall flat. And therefore, you could follow the very cold algorithm and doctor your screenplay so that it has the best potential to be a big hit. Right. So we're talking about taking a process that used to be done more on the, say, the perhaps well-informed intuitions of somebody in charge. Mm -hmm. They'd look at a script and say, this isn't right. We need to make some changes. Now we can actually base this on data. Yeah. And you can say, well... We've analyzed 7,000 movies over the past, however, and and movies that had this element didn't do as well as movies that substituted it for this other element. Therefore, we can recommend the following script changes. Yeah, Worldwide Motion Pictures Group uh, introduced an algorithm that the company said it could evaluate a script based upon past films, successes, and failures. We're largely talking about box office success here, so not necessarily awards consideration, but or like you know, Rotten Tomatoes score. But yeah, right, right. You know, they're literally looking at how many tickets were sold. That's the mark of su- success as far as they're concerned. Not artistic success, nothing like that. It's specifically how many butts did you put in seats? We're not running a charity here. Shakespeare got to get paid, son. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, it could actually analyze script elements and give a historically derived audience reaction to those elements. So let's say that you're writing your screenplay and you want to incorporate a sweet old lady who dispenses pithy advice. And then you would check the algorithm to see how such characters had resonated with past audiences in various other movies. If this sounds horribly mechanical and uninspiring, you're pretty much right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a few examples. Yeah. For, there was a New York Times piece uh, from 2013 covering what this Worldwide Motion Pictures group did. And they explained their services by saying, OK, here's an example. In movies with demons, you remember a while back, demon movies were really big, paranormal activity, Mm -hmm. all that. And they said that, quote, targeting demons, unquote, do better than, quote, summoned demons. So if, if you have a scene where you've got characters who are using a Ouija board or they draw a big pentagram on the ground and bring demons up out of hell... Those are not as good as demons that show up from out of nowhere and harass you of their own agency. Right. So they have they have <laughs> chosen they have chosen to torment you for reasons that the demon is aware of, but the character may or may not be. Right. Uh, they, but they, they certainly weren't summoned. So if you write a horror screenplay where the characters get out the Ouija board to get in contact with the demon and that's how it all starts, these guys will tell you, no, 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 no. 
you're going to lose money on this. You've yeah. got to get rid of the Ouija board and just have the demon show up. Yeah. You might start to think, hey, this suggests that it doesn't matter how, how good the writing is. It just matters which elements you put into the movie. And therein lies one of the problems. <laughs> uh, I want to cover a few more examples they give. Also mentioned in the New York Times piece was that, quote, guardian heroes do better than, quote, cursed heroes. Uh, oh, yeah, gave, because like, uh, that Star Wars movie did so poorly. <laughs> I'm so glad that they've pointed this out. Sorry. <laughs> I guess it all depends on what how they are defining guardian versus curse. Okay, all right, that's fair. Uh, this the same company was <laughs> also covered in a piece I'm going to talk about in a second that was a marketplace piece on this type of business, and they uh, said that, for example, in slasher films where there are killings, the killings should be random rather than motivated by quote something rational like revenge or money. One last one. All right. The Worldwide Motion Pictures group people, they said that uh, in a film that's based on a true story, you've got to stick to the facts. They said that films that deviate from the facts pretty far in a quote based on a true story don't do as well because they give this explanation. The audience will Google the story when they leave the theater. More than half the audience, they said. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know where they get that Which is weird because you would think, like, when they're leaving the theater, they've already bought the ticket to see the movie. So, so. it doesn't matter one way. Well, but they could tell their friends. Yeah, like, so then hey, word of mouth, I was, guess. Yeah. yeah. So this company likes to emphasize, or let's say liked, because we have some news about how they end up. <laughs> yeah. They liked to emphasize that the decisions and the suggestions made for changing these screenplays are not made by machines. They don't like run the document of the screenplay through a computer program and the computer tells you what to do. Instead, it's humans aided by data. Right. So it's humans who are using data. And that is, you know, like obviously computer aided machine generated data. Sure. But, but it's the humans the who humans are, are making the recommendations. Right. So I think of it kind of like imagine the earliest days of uh, Pandora where you would, uh, you know, they get a piece of music and they would start to analyze it and add all these meta tags to that music to identify the various components of it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they would start to map those to other pieces of music that shared at least a certain number of those same qualities. And therefore, when you would build a Pandora radio station based off a particular song, you would get other songs that had elements at least of that first song in common. Uh, and I think of it similarly to that, like they're looking at all this accumulated information that they have stored in some form of database. Uh, but they, it's a person who's actually going through and reading the screenplay and to identify them. It. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and the company, uh, this particular company isn't doesn't isn't around anymore. Uh, it imploded in 2014. Uh, the company was in debt and controversially. Uh, a whole bunch of folks were either fired or left the company, and some of the big players immediately formed another company called C4 and then bought up all the previous company's uh, intellectual property assets. Hmm. Um, so would you say it was a heroic implosion or a guardian implosion? <laughs> a, a, a cursed guardian. A cur <laughs> I, yeah. No, wait. I think it was a... I, I think don't a, know. I think Sorry. it was a, a, snark, snark, snark. a random slasher implosion, maybe. Snark, 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 snark. But at any rate, uh, yeah, so the the idea behind this was just to check and see if there there are elements within a script that could be tweaked. So it wasn't meant to be like, a uh, here are the 20 different things uh, the perfect movie script should have in it. Uh -huh. 
Because if you did that, you would probably end up with a movie very similar to the that music we talked about with the songs that were uh, generated by all the elements people identified as either being wonderful or awful. Remember those? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, we all agreed that the worst song was way more interesting than the best one. Uh, I still sing that song to myself sometimes. <laughs> Do all your shopping at Walmart. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you wanted to talk about this other company, too, right, Joe? Uh, well, just that there was another company who did a similar service. They were called uh, Epigogics, and they, they styled themselves with a capitalized X at the end, I believe. But they, they do a similar kind of thing. They have analysts that read a script, and they've got a, a, a computer-enhanced algorithm that sort of compares the script elements against data that they've collected about what, what elements perform well. And they make recommendations. It's a similar idea. They can actually go through a script and give it a score that is aided by this data, and then they feed that score through their computer algorithm, and it makes a prediction about how much money this script would make at the box office given some kind of error bar. I, obviously, they would claim that they uh, they offer a very valuable service. It's hard to know the level of quality in the services these kinds of companies provide, especially because I'm, I'm sure lots of Customers who use their services are not super forthcoming about that fact. Yeah. And also, I mean, without being able to see what the product was before versus Mm -hmm. after, it's impossible for us to make any determination at all, right? Oh, sure. Now, on one hand, I can see how, especially as time goes on, services like this could get more and more accurate and effective. Like, I, I don't doubt that you can probably get some pretty good predictions online just by analyzing script elements about what kinds of things will make money. But personally, I hate this idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a big fan either. Oh, well, there's there's nothing saying that plugging in a little puzzle piece like this, uh, making a change. uh, Like, for example, this uh, Epigogics company um, did a did a piece with with NPR's Marketplace Mm -hmm. a while back and uh, told a story about one movie that they that they went in to help doctor and they recommended cutting down the roles of one of the uh one of the supporting characters and the the head you know the 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 person that they were talking to laughed and said like oh that's great you just saved me like 12 million bucks because i realized that uh this big actress that i was going to get for this big supporting role i don't need her anymore right i can i can hire someone cheaper right because now now this if this role's not going to be that prominent then why would i spend the money on right. someone huge a huge name for that but but you know there's nothing saying that that role that would have gone to uh, angelina jolie right uh wouldn't be better served by having a different actress there that's true Sure. Uh, And just to remind again, this is not a process that's new. Script doctoring has been around. We're just talking about applying new, newly quantitative methods to it. Right. Instead of going on the intuitions of somebody in charge, we're going on data that we have that we can compare a script to. Right. This is this is, you know, before you might think of script doctoring as something in the screenplay is just not working. Something is it's clunky or the story seems to get bogged down in the second act, something along those lines. Whereas in this approach, you're thinking uh, you should change this uh, this 
uh, old lady character into a young man character because young men, male characters in this particular role end up selling X number more tickets than if you were to use an old lady character in this particular type of role within your story. And Especially that's Especially if they're played by an actor named Corey. <laughs> but that's when it starts to, that's when it really starts to feel like this is getting a little too weird and cold and calculated and less like art, right? Right. Um, it's, I, I don't know, like, like to, to, to devil's advocate, and I love making that noun a verb. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would still argue that it's up to the, the artists, even if they are working off of, of cold data, it's up to the artists to do what they will with that data and go like, oh, no, you're right. Like, like this young man character could could be an amazing character. And maybe that voice would be a really interesting voice. And and maybe the the reason I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, it's what you make of it is all I'm saying. I can see that. But I can also see as a writer someone writing something and you create you create a vision and you write it down and then having a producer come in and say, yeah, this character that you create, this strong young female character needs to be a strong male character because young they sell fem- more tickets. Yeah. yeah. And I, that sure. would really upset me. Oh, of um, course. So, I mean, these are the sort of things. And also like the other objections here, uh, again, this is looking at specific story elements, not necessarily the execution of those elements, but just whether they're there or not. Right. Right. So, I mean, obviously, you can't tell by looking at a script what kind of star power or uh, or just presence the actors are going to bring. Or just how well written the part is. Right. Yeah. You can't even tell about the, I guess, maybe the quality or the style of the dialogue. Yeah. If you're, If all you're doing is doing the metadata approach saying... Uh, it's, it, you know, the demographic information of whatever element it is, or, you know, you know, this movie is set in Seattle and films set in Seattle, uh, blah, blah, blah. You should really set this movie, uh, you know, over in Portland instead or something along those lines. And you'd be like, well, you know, you, it's, it seems so arbitrary, but also it's all based upon past data. And that suggests that you can't do anything original because right. it has to be weighed against things that have already happened. And it could be, that there's a lot of really crappy movies that have been made, but you've created a really cool idea that could be a, a huge hit. But because all the other movies in that space have been crappy, you don't even get the chance. So the example I gave, it's a bad example, but uh, let's say that you write a dinosaur movie. And, you know, let's imagine that Jurassic Park never happened, but uh, Tammy and the T-Rex and Theodore Rex both happened and they are terrible movies. So then you write a movie where there are humans and dinosaurs in it together. And because you've got these these other pieces that are poisoning the well, mm-hmm. uh, the data comes back and says there's no way. And audiences don't respond well to this kind of movie. And then we never would have gotten Carnosaur. Yeah. And that would have been a shame because that, <laughs> that dinosaur was adorably vicious. <laughs> But yeah, uh, the the real the real point here is that it doesn't it it discourages people from trying to go in innovative directions because there's not data supporting whether or not that would succeed. And then sure. producers are saying, "Well, I'm not going to put money into something where I don't expect to get a, a payback on my investment." Right. Well, this is a, a thing that's common in all kinds of businesses where people want a safe bet. Yeah. You know, oh, sure. in a lot of cases, the person at the top of a business, they're, they're looking at a film as an investment. They have to spend money to make the film and they'd rather be sure they're get going to get a pretty decent return on a film than take a risk. Oh, yeah. Might, and, and it might pay off big or it might be a total flop. And movies are expensive. Yeah. They, yeah. And sure. So they're looking at it as an investment and, and they're saying, well, you know. 
uh, if, if I make something that nobody's ever seen before and I can't compare it to things that have been successful in the past, I'm taking more of a risk. I'm putting more of my money on the line and, and I can't be sure about what I'm going to get back. And that's, I can understand that from a business perspective. I can sympathize with that in terms of making an investment, but it is kind of sad that that results in fewer movies that take those risks that turn out to be the movies we love. I mean, almost all of the movies we really love are the kinds of movies that do something new. They take a risk. They do something you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. I don't know how well movies like that would do when compared against the data of past hits and blockbusters. Now, fortunately, I think that while we we will continue to see uh, companies like this provide a service to movie studios... I also don't think that it's ultimately going to be the the thing that defines the industry as a whole. Oh, sure. So, you know, we, we're painting a lot of doom and gloom, but really, honestly, we're not thinking that this is going to happen all the time, always. Sure, sure. Right? And also, I think there's a huge space to uh, to come to some kind of happy medium with looking at this kind of data and... And also allowing new ideas to blossom, like uh, like like the way that Netflix models its original series. This is really cool. So Netflix, you know, they pay people to watch Netflix, sure. and then those people, what they're doing is they are they're essentially creating the tags, very much like the Pandora example I gave earlier. Critically acclaimed movies starring strong female characters that like coffee. Right. Yeah. Which, if you've ever really <laughs> dug through Netflix, where it has the various categories. Sometimes those categories get really hysterical. <laughs> you, I like them. They, they can, they, sometimes just the category is all the entertainment you need. You don't even need to watch a movie. You just look at what the category name is. But um, it's, it, yeah. this comes out of the fact that there are people who are tagging these movies and they say, oh, look, you know, this is related to these other films in these different ways. So you get, uh, you know, you can do an analysis. You can compare two films or two TV series with Netflix, whatever. Uh, against one another and see how how well they match up as far as those meta tags go. And this is kind of how Netflix creates that recommendation engine so that if you watch, let's say, for instance, I just watched uh, an independent uh, foreign horror film last night. And so based upon that, I will probably get other recommendations of other independent foreign horror films, which is that's exactly what I want. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. But they're also using it to guide their decisions, like you said, Lauren, with their original series. Netflix produces its own uh, films and TV shows. Mm -hmm. And by looking to see what people are watching, they get an idea of which uh, elements people are most interested in. And then they can say, all right, let's develop a show that caters to this audience. Yeah, let's let's green light a show. And and the terrific thing um, about Netflix's green lighting process is that they don't uh, let someone do a pilot and then have that pilot sink or swim. Uh, they, they have someone create an entire first season. Yeah, which and they is, release it all at once. Yeah, which is so giving to the to the creators. Sure, I, think. I totally agree. Awesome. <laughs> I'm just wondering that how come no matter what I watch on Netflix, it tells me that the thing I should watch next is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three Turtles in Time because it knows you. Yeah. Because surpri- that is what you should watch su- next, Joe. Surprised it's not just all the films that have the word chainsaw in them. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I think what it thinks I like is. Uh, Violent, mind-bending thrillers with a strong female lead. That's actually a category that I get, yeah. Yeah, I occasionally get that as well. Uh, So (laughs) 
another way we're seeing big data affect the film industry is through marketing. Uh, when a film gets released in one part of the world, they might see what types of uh, approaches are working or not working, and therefore they can actually tweak how they market a film in other regions to try and maximize that marketing effect. Uh, you know, keep in mind, a film's budget is almost nearly matched by the marketing budget uh, to kind of push that film out there. So if you hear that a film costs like $200 million to make, it probably was another $100, $150 million to market. It's crazy how much money is going into this. And they, of course, want it to be as effective as possible. For instance, I've seen uh, previews for a film that made it look like it was kind of a comedy and later on seen previews for the same film that make it look like it's a, a, a you know, a, a nail biting thriller. Oh, sure. <laughs> and I think like, what, which movie am I going to actually see yeah, when you go to yeah. the theater? And then a third, a third, third trailer will play up the romance. And there was yeah, one recently, I wish I could remember what film it was, but I remember when I saw the preview, I thought this seems like a totally different movie than the previews I saw like four months ago. Uh, but I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. So good story, Jonathan. Um, it's also <laughs> telling us more about how people consume content. So, uh, Netflix releasing all those episodes, like releasing a full season on one day, as opposed to having each episode come out week by week. It's there, you know, that's because Netflix has seen people will sit down and binge watch a show. That's how they like to consume stuff. They don't want to necessarily have to wait for a full week for the next uh, segment of that story. Mm -hmm. And so that's why Netflix, when they greenlit their series, they say, all right, we're going to fund a whole thing and then we're releasing it all at once and people can choose to watch it all at that same time or they can parse it out however long, however much they want. Or they can leave their houses sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, I say that, you know, I, having completely done the like seven or eight episode benders. Yeah. Uh, when the Arrested Development season came out, I pretty much consumed it in two days. I have an orange is the new black problem. Yeah, uh, that's understandable. Um so the question now is, where is this going in the future? I mean, we have said that we're probably going to continue to see this sort of doctoring approach to at least get an idea of, you know, is this script actually marketable or is it not marketable? But beyond that, are we going to start seeing things like uh, a computer actually write a story, taking all these elements? And are we going to get like the most disjointed, weird story with all the fantastic elements crammed into it? Man, I kind of hope so. I would, I would go. That sounds like a goofy, wonderful thing that I would see once. Sounds and... like you're describing turtles in time. <laughs> you can just see like superhero, superheroes, robotic figures riding dinosaurs, which may or may not also be super robotic. <laughs> you know, I'm wondering how long it's going to take us to get to that thing we were worried about at the beginning where we've actually pretty much got computers writing the scripts for us. Yeah. And, and other computers uh, playing the characters for us. And other computers watching it. People have just completely been taken out of the <laughs> equation. We're simply thrown on top of the furnace to fuel all the computers. Wow. Um. Went to that dark place. Huh? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's pretty likely, but... You know, before we get to that point, when humans are still watching the movies and still acting in the movies, yeah. are we going to get to a point where, you know, it's easier if we just cut out the middleman because we're getting to the point where there's too much data for these human analysts to mess with. We just need to have a program 
that can generate a script that they know has all the right you know money making elements yeah it doesn't have any of these low scoring elements like the old lady who dispenses pithy advice you know (laughs) can that that lady (laughs) right oh don't even bother why waste your time with a draft that has that when you can just have the program create a storyline for you i could certainly see this being done as an experiment like Uh, yeah The, 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 the way that uh algorithm based poetry is sometimes beautiful yeah it's sometimes yeah. it's sometimes beautiful in a kind of just sort of odd alien way, uh, but and I imagine a film would probably at least the first few in- incarnations of this sort of thing would be similar. Like one of those things where you're like, this feels like someone who almost understands how humans think but doesn't quite go the whole way would make a movie. I don't know. I would want a double feature of like that, like you know, starring some like like good people who have good senses of humor about it and you know yeah. could could really play it up and i would totally see a double feature of like that and like whatever michael bay is doing this week. <laughs> just <laughs> to compare the two okay. yeah i i've got so many comments and they all pretty much say that i'm guessing the bay movie would be the one i'd hate <laughs> but uh uh yeah I oh mean, well i'd certainly see this as an experiment i'm talking about if oh this no if the, if the whole the industry norm. i i don't see it becoming the norm Partially because if you are uh, taking this approach where you're trying to make all of your decisions based upon past outcomes, popularity, yeah, then ultimately all your stories are going to end up being incredibly formulaic and similar to one another. And, and it turns out you don't need computers for that. No, no again, not our, at all. our friend Michael Bay has really mastered this particular. Yeah, I'm like one. the terrible dystopia you guys are talking about is the one we are living in right now. Well, there's there was a an episode, you know, I know Joe has seen uh, some of the Red Letter Media videos um, that they they do a lot of film criticism and they do it in a very snarky way, but they do they they make legitimate you know film criticism fun. Yeah, they have some smart things to say. The warning: if you go check them out, they're not exactly family friendly. That is true. It is adult content, but yeah, but give it a listen. They are they are very insightful and very funny and very inappropriate at times. But one of the things they did, and it was kind of as a gag as the fourth Transformer film was coming out was they put all of the first three Transformer films on concurrently and sat down on a couch to watch three televisions as they all played out. And they saw that these three movies had the same beats. Like, within within 30 seconds of each other, they were identical as far as big action sequence, stupid character moment, terrible comedy relief all the way through. Yeah, and, like, not the same way that people say that Pink Floyd matches up with... with uh, oh, uh, Wizard of Oz. With Wizard of Oz, yeah. yeah, but like actually. Yeah, no, yeah. It's like, more well, like the way that if you play Nickelback songs at the same time, they have all the same changes. Yeah, very so similar nice. to that. Very similar to that. And it, it was actually pretty interesting. And you hear them like they start laughing because they see like, look, now these two are in the same moment. <laughs> because it wasn't always all three. I think at one point, uh, one of the films got... Like they lagged behind because they ended up either pausing it or something accidentally. Oh, okay. uh-huh. But at any rate, they just they talked about how frequently they matched up and it just showed that there was a very formulaic approach. So this is something that's happening already. I just suggest that if we were to move to an area where computers were making these decisions and they were basing it purely on past experience, we would see way more formulaic films. They would that would be the majority uh, if that was like how they were being generated. And because uh, we haven't reached a point where we can create a computer that not only can draw from past experience, but innovate from that, create yeah. something yeah. brand new that is is 
paradigm shifting. Uh, I think we're a lot closer to a computer that can write a basic story than a computer that could actually generate a script with dialogue and stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, yeah. that those kind of like human textural elements would still have to be filled in by a, by, by a, a person. human so, writer. So this would be like the, the actual beats. Like this this is what happens in this scene. This is what happens in this scene. Yeah. And then I a can human imagine would dialogue. Very easily a computer telling you, maybe even today, if somebody spent time working on creating this program, that you need to have these types of characters, you need to have these types of events in the movie, and they need to come in this order. Mm-hmm. And then Vin Diesel needs to race by in a car at super high speed. Ciao. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, there, there's there's a film that I wanted to bring up uh, that came out in 2013 called The Congress. I don't believe it's seen wide release yet, um, but I managed to catch it at the Atlanta Film Festival. Uh, it was starring Robin Wright, and it was directed and written for the screen by Ari Fullman based on a novel by Stanislaw Lem, which I would like to nominate as the best name. Um, <laughs> Stanislaw. Anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the Congress is about this near future wherein movie studios just upload actors basically and uh and then create films by computer algorithm and it's a really really beautiful piece um huh. that that explores these kind of tropes of, of what happens to the human element when you've taken the human element out of art interesting um, i i highly recommend getting a hold of it if you can um cuz it it's it's just so beautiful and creative and impossible to imagine having come from a computer right so uh so yeah if you're if you're interested in this and interested in seeing a creative portrayal of it then yeah i could definitely see i mean you guys remember when the commercials were coming out where they were digitally uh uh, inserting you know dancing characters yeah Uh, it's usually for vacuums i remember those in particular (laughs) right um like fred astaire or, or uh gene kelly or something like that uh and that raised a bunch like people were starting to say oh are we moments away from being able to cast like the dream film where you can get young Marlon Brando in a film, uh, you know, with actors and actresses that uh, would not have been alive or not have been uh, uh, willing to p- participate right, or, or at the peak <laughs> of their performing potential or any yeah. of that. Uh, at the same time, you could put them all together. Of course, we're still far away from that, too. Uh it it will be interesting to see how this develops. I'm sure we will see a lot of experiments come out about this. I mean, this seems like the sort of thing that uh, artificial intelligence labs would do as a means of kind of just an, you know, just an experiment. See what happens <laughs> if you can do this. Uh, I don't expect it to be necessarily, at least at the beginning, any more successful than that, you know, the greatest song ever written and the worst song ever written uh, uh, projects were, which were, again, interesting, but um, not not something that you would necessarily want on your uh, on your MP3 player. Although I do have the worst song on mine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Um, I no, I, I I totally encourage someone to go make this. If if any of you guys listening are are filmmakers, please uh, like like I'll if if you need a bad actor, I'll come act in your yeah. bad, in, in in this experiment. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, I, I I only agree to do it if I can be the best boy. I don't, <laughs> don't want to be the second best boy. Don't want to be the worst boy. I've got to be the best boy. Jonathan, you're my key grip. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're so close. You're so close. Uh, before we make tons of other jokes about gaffers and uh, and and other people who are absolutely key to getting a 
a video or a film or television shoot done. Yes. Uh, let's wrap Some this up. Some of them up. are so key, it's in their name. It is. Let's wrap this up. So, <laughs> you know, this was a fun topic to talk about. And, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of episodes that have been um, inspired by listeners who have written in. And we're looking for more of that because we love hearing from you guys. We've got, we, we received so many cool suggestions. We can't wait to tackle them all, but don't let that stop you. Send in more. And you can do that by sending us an email. The address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus. At Twitter and Google Plus, we are fwthinking. Just search fwthinking and Facebook will pop right up and leave us a message and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.